The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning, this is Kate and welcome to the show. You know, my guest today has spent his career studying play, communicating about the science of play to the public, and also consulting for Fortune 500 companies and other organizations about how to incorporate play into business. He frequently talks with parents about the conditions that create healthy play. He advises educational organizations, and he's actually gathered and analyzed thousands of case studies that he calls play histories. I'd like you to uh, join me in welcoming Dr. Stewart Brown to the show this morning. Good morning, Stuart. Good morning. Stewart. Glad to be with you. I wanted to just uh, start off by saying that for me, this topic, um, Stuart, is uh, really an exciting one to bring into the conversation about leadership because it's not the conventional way that we think about uh, we think about leadership as such serious business. So I want to just start off by asking you, how did you get involved with this topic in the first place? Well, it's kind of a circuitous route. I was a young uh, professor of psychiatry at Baylor College of Medicine in Houston. And a young man in Austin, Texas, went up on the top of the Texas Tower after killing his wife and mother, uh, murdered 14 people, wounded 32, and I was uh, put in charge of trying to figure out, in part, why he had done this heinous crime. He had been uh, an Eagle Scout and a uh, supposedly a model citizen. And in the weeks that ensued with a very, very detailed uh, review of his life and times, even though he had been killed on the top of the tower by uh, crossfire, uh, we found that uh, if you looked systematically, even prenatally and all the way through his life, uh, his urge to play and his capacities to engage in free play had been totally, virtually totally suppressed. And this uh, had a big effect on me and on our commission and uh, led me into... uh, studying uh, sort of initially the effects of play deprivation and then later in my career, it's a long time ago that this tower event happened, later in my career trying to get a better handle on what I would say is what is play behavior, the science of it, the benefits of it, the nature of it, because it's a bit hard to get your arms around it. But that in a fairly lengthy response is how I got started. Well, thank you for sharing that that context. I think with us, it is um, a powerful uh, place to begin in this exploration. And, and I know that um, the decision to look at the consequences of play deprivation and to look at understanding the role that play actually 
plays in our lives has has really shaped your career and your contributions. Um, I'm curious, uh, Stuart, as you would describe it, um, what is the power of play? You know, what, why is it so important for us to be talking about this? Well, if you look at the bi- sort of the biology and the evolution of play behavior in creatures who are capable of play, and uh, you see its emergence as more and more complexity occurs in an animal, uh, such as, uh, you know, if you were to look at a, a platypus, which is an egg-laying uh, monitoring, they call it, that they play and then they don't play as much as a, as a, uh, a dolphin or a otter or a monkey, and you begin to see the patterns of, of uh, play behavior, and then with a variety of circumstances, you see what happens if it is not occurring. You begin to sense that there is this huge contribution to the well-being and adjustment of uh, species that play to their own environment and their own life. So that uh, when you begin to look at this really big, long evolutionary picture of play, a couple hundred million years in its in its genesis and in its elaborations, uh, you begin to have a sense that it really is a very significant part, particularly for social mammals. It's a really important part of uh, survival. So, you know, I could go on and on about sort of the evolutionary biology of play and the and the nature of play behavior in animals and humans, but that might glaze everybody over, so let's move on to something more <laughs> more pertinent and more personal. Well, you know, that's it's um you know, I, lo- I think an important point to make, and one that you make so beautifully in the book that you've written called Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul, is really that play does help our brains to continue to develop, you know, long after adolescence, and that play even helps us to make the transition to old age. And so it's interesting to think about sort of the evolutionary role of play, you know, in the development of species, but then also maybe to as you said, to bring it home a little bit, to think about in our own lives how play is helping us to develop. Could you say a little bit about play as a part of human development? Sure. I think, again, if you were to look at any human life over time, from birth to death, and try and figure out, well, does play belong in this life through the whole lifetime? Uh, Yes, it does. It's particularly pertinent uh, in childhood and in childhood development. And in the very beginning of uh, our social process, when an infant looks at its mother's face and uh, and begins to smile radiantly and the mother smiles back, they together experience a kind of spontaneous joy that is wired into them. It's hardwired. And that beginning process is also a process of trust and uh, the capacity for bonding and closeness. And play is intricately uh, connected to that process, and then if you were to observe the uh, effects of, of of a variety of plays, uh, social play, object play, play with objects, uh, rough and tumble play, the various kinds of play, and begin to see how they contribute to brain function, you begin to see that uh, play is is crafting and enhancing. Uh, 
uh, brain function in a wide variety of ways, particularly pertinent in childhood and young adulthood, but it doesn't stop all the way up till we're, we're really very aged and uh, decrepit. It still has its place. So the human being is designed to enjoy and to experience uh, the phenomenon of play, it varies with age and gender and culture and so on, but it, it's still play and really important to uh, experience that uh, throughout our lifetime. You know, a, you know, a few years ago, we got a puppy, Stuart, because I kept saying to my husband, Dave, that we just needed to play more. <laughs> and move. Yeah, that puppy ended up being the most playful dog I've, I've ever met um, to this moment. But I, I'm curious about, you know, something you and I have talked about on other occasions, which is play across species. You know, that, we, that play seems to be a behavior that's not, not only human and not only the platypus, but actually all, of, all species seem to do it and seem to be able to do it together. You know, is that... Um, it, that to me seems one of the most joyful aspects of it. You know, well, it's not only joyful. I think if you look at it uh, closely, it is profound. If a dog on the beach, uh, I live fairly close to the ocean, and often there are dogs on the beach. If they go down into a play bow where they wag their tail and their their forepaws are in front of themselves and they're looking up at you, that signal is very contagious, and you know when you see that signal, that what follows from that signal is not going to harm you. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a play signal. So just Mm -hmm. a dog and a human is cross-species. And in the course of my research, I've just seen myriad examples where uh, the play signals between species, often who would have been uh, at war with each other, damps down their predatory or their fighting instincts, and they play together. So it's a very powerful, deep uh, kind of signal system, a series of languages, if you will, that exists between a variety of species. I'm looking out my window at the moment, and there are three almost pet crows that I've fed this morning, and they're playing like crazy with each other. I've got one, uh, one with a kind of a droopy wing, and I call him Droopy, and he and I have a, a very good uh, relationship as long as I feed him. <laughs> <laughs> what do crows playing look like? They're cavorting. They don't. It's it's. They're not particularly purposeful. They're uh, they look sideways at at each other. I've got a series of steps, and uh, Droopy in particular, when he's fed like he has been this morning, will jump up and down the steps, and he'll cock his head to the side and look at me and then look at the other crows and make some noise. It's clearly not highly uh, focused, goal-directed behavior. It's just fun for its own sake. And that's part of the definition of play. It's just fun for its own sake. You know, we just have a couple minutes and we're going to take our first break, but help us get a definition of play. What? Tell us more about sort of what's your definition of play? Well, we just got a little bit of one there. It's appears purposeless, it's voluntary, it's done for its own sake, it kind of takes one, the player, out of a sense of time zero where it doesn't really push you. Uh, you know, there, it, it's not easy to define because it is pre-verbal in its origins, but uh, you're not very conscious of yourself, and it's fun, 
and you want to keep it going. You know, those are all elements. It doesn't have to be action physically. It can be, for humans, very imaginative and, and very inward. That's true. And, and you know, the, um, one of the things I've enjoyed the most about getting to know your work is that you know, the, the distinctions about play that you have and that you, are, I think, are going to share with us today are distinctions that we, we, we move right past. We don't think about them enough. You know, one example is you use the, fl- the, the phrase play deprivation. And I think when we think about, um, you know, that phrase, it describes something we all immediately understand but maybe haven't thought enough about. So I think as we continue in our hour, Stuart, I'm going to try to flag those um, ideas for our listeners because you know, to me, part of understanding the power of play is understanding um, almost how to, how to look for it, how to think about it, how to talk about it. So well, we'll do I'll it. enjoy that process. <laughs> hopefully, I, hopefully I'll do it justice. Um, we're going to take a break right now. My guest this morning is Dr. Stuart Brown. He is um, the founder of the National Institute for Play. He is also the author of a fantastic book called Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. And we will be right back after this break to talk more about why play is so important for all of us. We'll be right back. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Leadership is a vital skill set in today's competitive global economy. Being a leader is not enough. To succeed, you must optimize your performance and know how to imbue others in your organization with leadership skills. Practical, actionable leadership insights are the focus of Leadership Development News, hosted each Monday at 9 a.m. Pacific, noon Eastern, by Kathy Greenberg and Relly Nadler on the Voice America Business Channel. Doctors Greenberg and Nadler, who coach global leaders on how to be most effective, will share their insights and contacts. The path to leadership excellence begins here. What does conscious leadership mean to you? It unites organizations instead of dividing them. By exploring commonly based business challenges, it guarantees an increase in your bottom line. Tune in to Minding Our Business, Creating a Spiritual Economy with your host, Nadine Rogers. Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. 
You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is your host, Kate Ebner, and my guest today, Dr. Stuart Brown, is the world's preeminent expert on the subject of play. Um, Stuart, you and I were talking right before the break about, um, you know, these important distinctions about play that when, I think once we understand them can help us maybe make some course corrections in our own lives. And I want to go back to this topic of play deprivation uh, which is kind of where you started in, in your own understanding of what went wrong um, with that um, case that you were describing earlier. But tell us more about play deprivation. What is it and what are the consequences? Well, of course, it varies somewhat with the temperament and with the circumstances of, of an individual's life. But, uh, and it's particularly dire if a little, uh, let's say, eight to ten-month-old child is, not given the freedom to sort of explore the environment with their hands and joyfully uh, interact with the caretakers and parents. And when that happens and there's severe early deprivation, you begin to see the, in stark format, the consequences of, for a life that is deprived of this inter- in, intense force in childhood called play which would in, involve uh, really childhood depression and auto- automatic kinds of behaviors and, and a failure to explore the environment and, and uh, really some very sad things. And although it takes huge deprivation of childhood to evoke those kinds of processes because the play drive is so powerful in, in infancy and childhood, nonetheless, when you begin to look at a life over time and you have, let's say, a an, uh, an adult that has had a pretty good play background, but for a variety of reasons is play deprived in adulthood and not recognizing it. You begin to see that things like uh, rigid thinking, sort of a tendency to be ideologic, uh, difficulty in seeking out something new and novel, um, really kind of a smoldering. Uh, mild depression, uh, those are, are uh, when you look at it like I do as a physician, they're almost like a laboratory test that shows you're, you've got a, a play anemia. And, and it, uh, it, it's across the board. So when you, when you look at your own life, if you're, you're worried about the mortgage and you can't really get past uh, being harassed by a boss and, and the weekends are full of uh, chores, and you don't look forward to the future, and you're not very optimistic, those are signals, in my view, of uh, play deprivation in adulthood. And they're fairly easy to spot if you're a professional in a child or uh, a a person in elementary school, for example, but not as easy to see in our adulthood because we cope with uh, our coping mechanisms. But uh, lack of optimism... Uh, diminished perseverance, uh, tendency to rigid thinking and, and inflexibility in the way you approach the world, those are among, uh, to my eye, uh, signs and signals of play deprivation. 
And and I'm and I'd love to try to connect this if we can to leadership. You know, so so often in our culture, people believe that the key to success, of course, is hard work and the application of oneself to the challenge at hand is uh, kind of this relentless commitment. Um, people aren't necessarily taking the time to play and to build that in. Um, and I'm curious, you know, these traits of sort of rigidity and um, a kind of a more negative view mm-hmm. uh, that, you, that you're describing. Um, if, we were, if we were to put this in the leadership c- context, could you just, you know, help me describe what the consequences would be for an organization of a leader who isn't play, playing and who is play-deprived? Well, I've done a lot of corporate consultations, and if you find a kind of a toxic, fearful environment where pleasing the boss or getting there on time is more important than than your work, you're often in a play-deprived corporate culture. But, you know, to think about leadership and sort of the use of play, I think there there's a kind of a sense that work and play have to be entirely separate. And I really don't look at it that way. If something engages you deeply and you're passionate about it and you stick with it and, it, and you know, you're really invested in in what you're doing and there's a sort of a sense of let's do this and let's keep going at it and I'm enjoying myself, that has, you know, that work-play mixture is often very, very healthy. And when that, that kind of climate is pervasive and contagious within an organization, the organization is usually quite playful, quite flexible, open to, uh, you know, to innovation and, and resilient to handle some of the uh, downtimes we all face. So I think leadership mm. and play go together and ossification and a fixed sort of way of doing things that is not subject to uh, the demands of a constantly changing environment uh, is, are signals that uh, that circumstance is, is not using the benefits and the power of play to, to uh, move on to the next step. So often in the work I do one-on-one with leaders and sometimes with teams, you know, I, I really do see people um, so deep in their commitment to the responsibility side of things that they're, the thought of being playful or making time for play or even just sometimes rest is just so far from their minds. And you mentioned earlier that there are different ways that we play and that, that there um, are. different profiles. So tell, tell us a little bit about the, the options. If, you, if you're thinking about play, I'm sure there's many ways to think about that, this. Well, let's start sort of with, with the person who may be looking at themselves and saying, you know, I don't think I play enough. Well, start with what is a kind of a given in their temperament. Most of us have a, a certain cluster of things we like to do and enjoy doing that run pretty deeply within our background and our psyche and that are pretty intrinsic to who we are. So being true to your own temperament and then mixing that with what would be playful for you is, is kind of a key to uh, empowering yourself through play. <clears throat> you know, for, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, if, if you are a musician and you love rhythm and music, uh, you could be playing an instrument, listening, and mm-hmm. get into a state of play. 
Mm-hmm. If you're a physical person and you need to be moving and play and movement are together, you got to be out there running, jogging, taking a hike, riding a bike, being in a movement kind of circumstance. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but it, what, yeah, I think what you need to do is be able to be true to your own temperament and, and joys and then prioritize them to the point where you recognize that this is an important way for you to live your life and to be effective in your work and to it spills over into all of life. Do you think, um, Stuart, as, as I'm thinking about what you've just said, you know, there's so many different ways, whether it's, you know, activity and movement or, um, or maybe it's creating something or, you know, play, you know, playing music or experiencing something artistic. Um, I'm curious about hobbies and mm-hmm. I realize as I say that, that I'm kind of playing into this, you know, work play dichotomy you know like we, we all work, do and then we have it's our hobbies really, you know it runs very deeply in our culture and the weekend itself is 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 kind of a structure so we're supposed to play on the weekend but not during the week i mean that's those are powerful cultural signals mm-hmm. they are and and you know yet if we're sort of just sort of working with the the paradigm we're in it seems like a place that we would look, you know, often people will say, I don't have time for hobbies, but hobbies maybe is a code word for something I really love to do and do for fun. Sure. Um, so that, 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 seems, that seems like something that, again, is far more important than maybe we, we think it really is. No, I think um, to find something that really lights your candle and gives you uh, part of that earlier definition I gave, takes you out of the sense of time while you're at mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Whether it's reading a novel or gardening, you know, these can be hugely different. I have a sister-in-law, and it's really fun to watch her crochet because she's off in some other place while she's doing it. And it would drive me nuts, you know, doing <laughs> it. But, <clears throat> but she is at play while she's crocheting. So, Really very interesting. Um, I wanted to ask you um, before we take our next break in just a minute here what, what some people tell me that um, they love their work and that for them work is their passion that they they get into flow while they're at work that, you know can your our work be play oh in certainly in, in 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 an ideal world if we are counseling our offspring properly what uh, gives them empowerment and joy is often often comes from their deepest play nature, and that ought to be uh, directional for career choice. Hmm. I love to hear. I love to hear you say that. T- tell me more about what you mean. Like in an ideal world, raising our children, you well, know, th- thinking about their future. Well, if you go to a newborn nursery and you watch uh, the eye, eye movements and the body activity of even in a newborn nursery, you begin to get a sense of what I would say is sort of the archetypal temperament of those infants. And then if, if as they're getting older, uh, their eye contact goes more toward an object or toward a mobile over their head, maybe we got a budding engineer there. If they're, if they're strictly involved in social and, and enjoy with the social contact, their temperament is such that and their play may be highly social so that they should be, uh, you know, in the theater or doing something like that. So you begin to get these directional signals given from within the child that really stay with us for a lifetime. And being uh, 
being honest with yourself about what it, within those natural, joyful proclivities is there a, uh, a vocation, a, a mate choice, a, a place to live. I mean, these are all guidance systems that I think we have that are in part set in motion through our play nature. Thank you very much for, for that making that point. You know, what I love about about this thought is that the answers sometimes are right in front of us if we can um, awaken to actually see not only who we are, but maybe who our children are, maybe who our employees are. This is Kate Ebner. We're going to take another break right now. My guest is Dr. Stuart Brown, and we'll be right back to talk more about the power of play. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it will be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hi, this is Kate again, and I'm talking, as you know, with Dr. Stuart Brown. We're talking about play, Stuart's area of research and expertise. He's written a book on the subject and has appeared on NPR, on PBS, and also as part of the TED conference. Um, Stuart, we've talked about different kinds of play. We've talked about a little bit about play deprivation and about how critical it is, um, not only for 
well-being, but but also there are organizational implications when leaders are playful or not playful. I wanted to use some of our time right now to learn more about how you're taking your research into the world. And I know that you're doing a a seminar, a, a program called From Play to Innovation at Stanford University. Could you tell us a little bit about what you're teaching and what people are taking from that class? Sure. Uh, the Stanford class is a graduate course that uh, about we get about 30 graduate students, and we make sure they come from multi-disciplines, like we've got bioengineering and law and medicine and, and the business school and, and so on. And, and these students uh, sign up for this course, which uh, occurs twice a week, uh, all afternoon in the spring quarter. And we're given, we, we give the students uh, a topic uh, and say, okay, you've got to use your playful imagination to try and uh, see if you can uh, go at this topic uh, using playful imagination and making it fun for you and for who you're involved with. Well, for example, what comes to mind is one of the things we did last spring quarter was uh, to try and have families who have adolescents make the family meal fun. As you know, that's not always an easy task. So, (laughs) you know, if you've got a couple of surly adolescents who want to be on their iPhone and the parents want to talk about politics and they could care less... (laughs) <laughs> uh, you know, what do you do to try and bond the family together? And the sponsor for this was uh, ConAgra, who, of course, wanted to have more good good groceries sold to the family. So we had a practical uh, kind of entrepreneurial uh, bent to it, which is most of the projects we do at the course have. Well, each of the students involved went out and interviewed families and interviewed a variety of people and then made a video and came up with some really fun uh, outcomes. And one of the outcomes, which was totally unexpected from this course, which was playful, was they kept coming into uh, contact with people who didn't have family meals, but they had friends. And so they, one of the outcomes was to have you look at your refrigerator, <clears throat> see what was there for leftovers, Mm-hmm. Call your five of your best friends and make your make a, a meal out of strictly what was left in the refrigerator. Well, that was from play to innovation. That you know that was just one kind of cornball example of an outcome that came out of out of this course. But there were lots of others that where the play principle gives you flexibility, uh, unexpected outcomes, fun in the process. And often brand new ideas you didn't think were going to come. And that's part of what play does. So that's at the end of the spectrum of sort of graduate school and and, uh, senior education. Mm -hmm. And if you've got time for a long-winded answer, you can take this all the way down and use play principles in, for example, preschool. How does a preschool teacher honor a kid's need to play when it's mayhem and anarchy and noisy and often looks like it's out of control. So there are principles, I think, that apply in education that go from the earliest aspects of parenting and allowing the play to emerge into preschool patterns, elementary school, uh, positive learning, and all the way up to what we're doing at Stanford. Wow. And and what are the... the what in the preschool setting, 
this uh, phrase you used, honoring the child's need to play. You know, what can teachers do to do well, that? Well, let's say that you have a, a, a well-meaning, uh, high school-educated preschool teacher in a, in a relatively small setting, and her or his expectation is to keep things under control. And in, in any kid that's really boisterous and chasing, for example, or wrestling or punching or squealing, all of which are normal early, let's say, 18 months to four-year-old kids, this is what they do when they play, and to allow that to take place within a reasonable and safe circumstance uh, really allows the benefits of early rough-and-tumble play to take place within the preschool setting. And this is crucial for nuanced social learning for kids and to learn about themselves and to, you know, obviously if there's a bully or there's a kid that's out of control, the preschool teacher has to deal with that. But strictly putting the lid on and not allowing this really boisterous, active playground-type play to take place is to really attenuate a normal developmental process that goes on worldwide and is crucial for what I would say is the crafting of the later social brain, the nuanced ability to deal with the complexity of social life begins step-by-step often with rough-and-tumble play in preschool. So bringing these principles of play into preschool teachers' psyche is uh, one of the contributions that I hope, uh, you know, I'm not the only one doing this. There's some really, really elegant uh, and very gifted people out there doing this sort of thing, taking play principles into preschool and recess settings in what otherwise would be uh, not very playful circumstances. And it goes right on up the, up the line and in, into elementary and <clears throat> junior high and middle school and high school. Mm-hmm. And... and um... And, you know, I'm thinking in several directions at once here, so bear with me. But, um, you know, you used this phrase a minute ago, playful imagination. Use your playful imagination to solve a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and what's the alternative to a play, playful imagination to solve a problem? Well, uh, much of what goes on in our culture is scripted. And if a, let's say you have a, an eight-year-old kid who is, has likes to have reveries in their own imaginative life. If they are given a scripted toy or a scripted kind of storyline that tells them what they have to think and who the hero is and what the trajectory is, I think in that process you're limiting what would otherwise be highly creative imaginative life, which joins the inner life of the child who's doing spontaneous imagination with the outer world that is their world. And if you think more deeply about this, this process of of spontaneous imagination that's self-organizing from within is how we develop our own real sense of self. If it is scripted, we we have a limited and a less full and less spontaneous and less rich sense of self. And part of the reason playful imagination and pretend is such a big part of kids' lives is that they are really struggling to make sense of their own world within their own frame of reference. If it's too scripted, 
I think they lose something. How do how do schools respond to the research and to, to the uh, information that you're bringing to them? Depends entirely on the on the school district, the school system in general. The teachers are under such, particularly let's say elementary and middle school, are under such pressure for performance that they the they the teachers often uh, just don't have the open time and the and the ability nor the curriculum design to allow these basic science of play principles to enter into the educational setting. <clears throat> so it's, you know, it's, it, it's uh, you know, if you come out of an industrial revolution mentality, which is assembly line productivity as the outcome, which was mm-hmm. very, very much a part of our heritage and which has dominated a lot of the educational philosophy, and you attempt then to bring suddenly these play principles into uh, a school, it's, it's, a big, it's a big jump. So I think there, you know, we've got a long way to go to bring these play principles fully into operation. I think there are school systems that do this, like Finland and uh, other private school settings, but there are very few elementary schools that I know of in in uh, a traditional public school setting where this level of freedom is allowed it's considered it would be considered to be progressive education and you know coddling and so on so it has to be mm-hmm. done wisely but but when play is introduced well into a learning setting and the kids find that joyful learning is a part of their ethic the outcome academically and in terms of personal health are really great so the evidence from science is there. The mechanism to put these into structured form within the school system is not there. You know, we just have a couple of minutes um, remaining before our next break, and I, I'm struck by, as I was you know, reading your book, the way that you use visioning in your work, Stuart. You ask people to look into their future, to imagine their lives um, in, a, in a few years, in five to ten years. And, of course, you know, the Nebo Company, the work that I do, is very much about um, supporting people and being forward-looking and imaginative about their future. And I'd love to just ask you, um, if you could have the future as you see it, how would play be incorporated? Hmm. Boy, that's a tough one. <laughs> <laughs> it's a big one for early in the morning. <laughs> You want me to answer that now or go to a break? <laughs> well, maybe we will take the break because we just have we just have a few seconds left. But I would really love to hear, you know, like if, if we were really uh, acting upon the play principles, we were really able to redesign how our world works, you know, not, not only at home but in the schools, sure. not only in the schools but at work. You know, what could that look like? So we will take a break. I'm happy then- to take a go at that too when the break's over. All righty, we'll take that break and we'll be right back. As you know, I'm Kate Ebner, my guest today, Dr. Stuart Brown. We're talking about play and how to really unleash your own creativity, um, innovation, and joy relationships through play. We'll be right back. Up-to-date business and financial news. Call now and get the financial information you need. 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. The experts are here. Voice America Business Network. 
Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. Hi, I'm Ed Krell, CEO of Destination Maternity. We proudly support the March of Dimes work to reduce the rate of premature birth. The numbers have gone down in the past five years, but still, nearly half a million babies are born too soon in the United States each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs to help more moms have full-term pregnancies and healthy babies. Join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Visit MarchofDimes.com. Save on your prescriptions with the RX Savings Plus drug discount card offered by Voice America. It is not insurance and discounts are only available from participating pharmacies, but 9 out of 10 pharmacies participate nationwide. Start saving today. Print your free card online at voiceamerica.rxsavingsplus.com or text the word Talk Radio to 96362. Listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1 866 472 5790. That's 1 866 472 5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. This is Kate. I'm talking with Dr. Stuart Brown, and we're going to return to the conversation we've been having about play. And right before the break, Stuart, I invited you to share with us your view, your vision, really, of a playful world. You know, if we really uh, could, if only we could see the potential of what you know, if we could only, if only if we could understand uh, what what it could look like, I think it might help us all to um to begin to work with the existing paradigm in order to make the space and prioritize the play principles that you know so much about. So my question is simple. You know, what's your vision? <laughs> That's a challenging question and uh, <laughs> one I'll have some fun trying to answer here. Let's take a look at the perspective of what it is to be human. And if we were to go back to our heritage as hunter-gatherers that lasted a million years or more, and the biological and social beings that came out of that process, that still is at a core who we are. And the, what, what has been wonderful scholarship in the last 10 years or so has been a real summation of what the hunter-gatherer tradition was like. And we do know as best it can be reconstructed from those fragments that exist culturally now and from uh, the paleoanthropology that's gone on over the years, is that they were very playful, that there was sharing, that there wasn't a hierarchical uh, you know, king or chief that necessarily ruled the hunter-gatherer tribe, and that when they weren't under great privation, they spent at least 20% of the time in laughter and play. So if that's our core heritage biologically, and then all the generations that have occurred since, 
have gotten life more complex with you know the accumulation of wealth and all that sort of thing. Nonetheless, we still have, if you allow uh, a look at kids worldwide, their play and their play patterns are pretty similar worldwide when they're not in fear or starvation. So if that's us, uh, what do we do now to, within our very complicated cultures, to honor that biology, that cultural heritage, that sociology that is the essence of being human? Well, to me, it's part of what I've said earlier in the program. It is to identify the play personality, the play temperament, the play characteristics of each of us early, and then to enrich those in the course of our uh, development as best we can through parenting and ed- the educational system and, and uh, opportunities uh, that occur within the, the working world. So that's a big, that's a big jump. And yet it's not, it's, it, a gifted teacher, for example, or a gifted parent often does this intuitively anyhow. And if you take the, you know, the world, what would the world look like if it was, if, if we could jump to a play saturated or play wise or um, a play sophisticated uh, world, I think there would be mo- more moments like happened in Iceland with Gorbachev and, Re- and uh, Reagan at the anti-ballistic missile conference there because it went down terribly and there was a, nothing but conflict initially and at the last evening dinner after a failed conference, Reagan got up and said, well, let's have breakfast together tomorrow even though it didn't work out. He got up the following breakfast in, and started telling dirty jokes. Gorbachev got up and started telling dirty jokes. They all started laughing. They got together and they got a anti-ballistic missile uh, accord. And George Mitchell in, in Northern Ireland talks about the necessity for bringing some sort of playfulness into conflict resolution. And this is part of what play does socially. It's part of what was missing in the mass murder that I mentioned at the beginning. And if you see a marriage is falling apart, and the people are entrenched in their own position and hanging on, not not having a sense of humor or compassion about their partner's need. You find the need there for play again. So the play being woven, a play hygiene, the public health awareness of the importance of play being woven into the realities of our culture seems to me to be a a really high priority uh, necessity. Look what's going on in Congress. Look what, you know, you look at it, a life over time without play is often a toxic life that doesn't work well with others. So that's a big, uh, grandiose kind of wild answer, Kate, but uh, that's where you led me with your question, so there it is. Well, there it is. I think it's, it's fun, actually, to think about a future where we are incorporating play and playfulness into how we go about what we're doing, especially when it's the most important topics, when there's conflict, when there's tension, um, when, there's really, uh, when there's really a dead end, unless we create the space for uh, the joke or the laugh or the connection, that, you know, the kinds of things that you're describing. You know, well, and, 
you've you've said so many things, and so I promised um, our listeners that I would share these distinctions as I'm hearing them from you. So I'm going to do that, and then I want to ask you, actually, in our closing question, to give us all some advice about how we can connect with these play principles in our lives. But you've said so. I'm using them these words now as if I actually. I'm, I'm fluent in them, Stuart, so um, help me if I... <laughs> but You're doing great. <laughs> play principles is one, right? Mm-hmm. And, um, and by play principles, we mean the, the principles of play that have been proven by research to, to, what, to, mean, to mean playfulness versus some other kind of behavior. Yeah, if it's forced play, you know, if somebody says, you've got to play ping pong at noon at this corporate uh, retreat... And you don't like to play ping ping pong. That's not play. Got it. You know, so play needs to be what works for you. What you think is fun. And what you experience in this state of play is a, it's a separate biological state, as different from all others as sleep and dreams are from consciousness. And to get into that state of play, we've all seen it in a puppy, and we've all been there, most of us, a time, you know, many times. Finding room for that in your life and prioritizing it, really important. Really important. Well said. So the other one that you've said a lot about, um, play-deprived. And this phrase to me is just so powerful. You know, the idea that, that we are, many of us, deprived of play with all of the consequences that we've discussed. Sure. You've talked about play personality, that we each have our own play personality. Um, maybe, we're, maybe we're a joker, like Reagan. Maybe we're mm-hmm. a, a mover, um, somebody who needs to, to be physically active when playing. Maybe we're an, an artist or a storyteller. Um, you offer some wonderful distinctions. Or about. like you, maybe we're a director. <laughs> I was, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you direct things well. <laughs> I inherited that play personality from my mother, I'll share with okay. you. Um, play drive is another phrase you used, you know, like the, the urge to play that we naturally have. You know, one uh, of the things that if we've got time, the play drive really comes from deep within the survival centers of the brain. And this has been proven by, by really detailed objective animal play research. And it applies to us so that thinking of play as something superficial is really not be a very good science because play is a survival drive arriving, arising out of deep, deep centers in the brain that are subcortical. Mm-hmm. And, the, and play drive actually fuels new maps within the cortex. That's good science, and it's uh, maybe a bit much, but it's where I am in a lot of the thinking I have about play. Well, I love that. And I, and I think for everybody listening, remember there's so much science behind this um, th- th- there's an imperative here to play. So some other quick distinctions, um, play, play anemia, i.e. Mm-hmm. not enough play, um, playful imagination, a way of approaching life or a, a problem or a challenge, um, play principles. We've talked about play history. What's your play history? And I want to close. We have literally probably 15 seconds, Stuart, but if you were to just give one little nugget of advice, what would it be for those who are listening today? It would be to... Uh what gives you joy? What is your personal bliss? And can you connect what was an inevitable blissful experience in childhood to something practical and immediate in your adult life? And then honor it. I want to say thank you, Stuart, for joining me today. It has just been a delight to have you on the show, and I'm honored and so pleased that you were with me. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for the opportunity, Kate. It's been a pleasure. 
And for those of you listening, I hope you'll pass this show along to your friends and check out the National Institute for Play. Go get the book, Play, How It Shapes the Brain, Opens the Imagination, and Invigorates the Soul. Thank you for joining me today. This is Kate Ebner. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 